0: We spent the uh, last couple weeks uh, just kind of laying out the, the field of this prophecy, 2,600-year-old prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And uh, I will show you today, I think, um, how it's important to study God's Word in the whole. Because a lot of times uh, folks will find something and they'll get all excited about it, And they just take the one passage and they think, oh, here we go. This is going to be it. And they base their whole life and uh, everything uh, going on in their life on it. And unfortunately, uh, we've seen numerous uh, cults have arisen uh, based on that principle where they've taken an idea from Scripture and they've isolated it from the balance of Scripture. And then they've run with that as the prevailing idea. And of course, once you see something Uh, and it's got your attention, you start to see that everywhere. And so these folks uh, have built entire uh, movements. And unfortunately, it's movements that have drawn them away from God's word, uh, not into God's word. So as we see the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is super exciting because uh, for me, I watch on the world scene and you see all the players coming together. So part of what I hope we can get a hold of Uh, Glenda was reading some names, and uh, in uh, Psalm 83, there's a lot of names there, and those are important names because Psalm 83 is actually a prophecy, and Psalm 83 deals with some nations, but those nations are not the nations that we're dealing with in the Ezekiel prophecy. So I broke them up last week, and I don't know if you jotted them down this way, just to refresh your memory. There's the Magog Coalition. This is the group of nations that will come against Israel in this prophecy. And that includes Magog, Meshach, uh, Tubal, Persia, Cush, uh, Put, Gomer, and Togarma. And in other words, Magog, we see that is the area of Russia. Meshach is the southern steppes of Russia. If you look at a world map, you see Russia is just not a block up there in the top of the world but there's actually like little fingers and parts and uh, the part that was Georgia reaching down to Georgia, uh, Belarus, uh, and then of course you have the Ukraine over to the west of there. Um, But then Tubal is an area of Turkey, Persia is modern day Iran, Ethiopia is Kush, and Put is the area of Libya in Northern Africa, those two. And then you have Gomer and Tagarma, which are both areas of Turkey. Turkey is kind of like a long uh, country, sticks out into the Mediterranean on a bump. And uh, so you have the eastern area of Turkey. You have the western area of Turkey, uh, represented by Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. Now there's protesters. So that's one group of players. That's team one, the Magog Coalition. And then you have the protesters group. And that was Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and then Tarshish's young lions. And talked about that just a little bit last week. Sheba is the area of Yemen. Uh, Dedan is the area now known as Saudi Arabia. And the merchants of Tarshish, by description, we talked about a little bit last week, the metal Britannia or what is called tin that is smelted up in the British Isles uh, in antiquity for what the word Britannica is called from. Uh, This is the area of the UK uh, and then the UK's Young Lions, which uh, I believe and many others uh, probably indicate the area of North America colonies that came out of uh, the UK or through Europe and are represented by us today, and the nations of the North Americas. Um, Some think that that might be the merchants of Tarshish, might be Spain, but in in which case you also have the same areas represented because of the explorers that moved under the Spanish crown and came to those same areas, just in different time periods. But uh, you're dealing with basically the other nations that form up the protesters of the Magog invasion. And then you have the target. You have all those groups of individuals and then you have the target that they're focused in on. And um, it seems really, really foolish that these huge nations with all this um, wealth and all this land mass and people uh, together, where are they aiming? Israel. Yeah, the tiny little bump down there on the edge of the Mediterranean, the tiny little Rhode Island kind of size country in the Mediterranean, and you have from North Africa, you have a group that's coming from the south, from the north, you have all those groups around that form a crescent, and they're falling down into and driving into Israel, and that's the target. But the most important player in the whole thing is not those, the coalition, it's not the protesters, it's not the target. The most important person in the whole entity or in the whole incident, is who? Jesus. It's God. God is going to make his name known. His holy name will be established before everyone, and they will know that he is the Lord. They will know. That's the bottom line when you get down to it. All the movement, all the things that the nation does, everything that's dealt with, God says... I'm doing this. I'm bringing them down. I'm bringing them to this place, and I am going to deal with them. God is in charge. And that makes it exciting for me because there's no human element. Go ahead, Ed. I know you told us one, but how many BC is this? What year? 2,600 years ago, puts it back. Um, it's about the 700 BC mm-hmm. okay. area. And uh, what's interesting about that, in fact, I was just uh, reading the news, uh, it was wee hours of this morning, maybe one or two. Uh, we had a dead space, and uh, I was doing a little reading, and the uh, Russian uh, archaeologist had found a new grave, and it was significant because it was a woman's skeleton that was in this grave up in the Siberia area up in the, uh, you know, super cold. And they dug up this grave that is from the era of this prophecy. And uh, it went through and it listed some of the things. Uh, They found lots of male graves. And I told you about that a couple weeks ago because we were looking specifically at the people that inhabited that area of what we now call Russia Uh, that is represented by Magog, and it was the people known as the Scythians. And in this article, which was not a biblical article at all, it was just world news, and it was about these Russian guys that had dug up this grave, and like I said, it was a woman inside, and it had some gold objects and had different stuff in it that they were looking at. But they noted that this was around the 8th century B.C., And this was the time that the Scythian people inhabited this area. And I thought, you know, it's interesting because once you start to see, uh, and I tried to bring in Herodotus, um, Flavius Josephus, all those writers that we had that were extra biblical, they're historical from outside the pages of the Bible, but they are confirming exactly what the Bible says and points out from Genesis 10 on is this group of individuals that was in this area, that area that's represented by Magog. And uh, but the prophecy itself, Ezekiel's writing places it about 2,600 years ago from now. So you got to do a little math, but you can work your way back to that. Okay, so let's go to uh, Ezekiel 38 uh, verse 14. Just read a little bit here to freshen us up. Uh, "'Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, "'Thus says the Lord God, "'On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, "'will you not know it? "'Then you will come riding out of your place "'out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, "'all of them riding on horses, "'a great company and a mighty army. "'You will come up against my people Israel "'like a cloud to cover the land.' It will be in the latter days, key phrase, it will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am, allowed, when I am hollowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants the prophets of Israel who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them. It's very significant that of the players that we are dealing with, the Magog coalition, um, one of the more significant players, Persia, has never come against Israel on Israel's own land while it was under Israeli control. Never in the history of the world has Persia come against Israel while it was under Israel's control. Persia came against Israel Part of that land, while it was under Roman control, they were fighting the Romans, and they were fighting in that area, but they have never come into that area. But Iran seems to be wholly and totally focused themselves against Israel, and through their proxies or through their minions, and we listed several of those. Those are the Hezbollah, Hamas, and those are the terrorist organizations in Syria, in Jordan, that they finance in Lebanon that they bring uh, armament to, which all comes out of Russia, it all comes out of the north, funnels through Iran, goes through those countries, and those are those inner circle nations that are fighting against Israel today that you pick up the news any day and you will see Hamas or Hezbollah shooting rockets into Israel, terrorist attacks, Israel retaliating it's a daily Part of Israel's life right now on those border areas, the sirens go off, you take shelter in your houses and you go from there. What's interesting as we look at this, uh, we learned hopefully over the last couple of weeks there are some pre- there's some preceding events that have to happen with Israel specifically. we only looked at the Israel component. First, so what has to happen with Israel that's not happening with Israel right now? Israel today, as we go, it is a nation. 1948 came back. They fought the 67 war. They fought several skirmishes here and there. uh, Six day war. You had all kinds of things that Israel's done as a nation. They've been gathered back. They're gathering back out. But there's some events. There's some uh, condition that they have to be in for this prophecy of ezekiel to go forward what were those that we saw they live without walls. yeah they have to have no walls and right now they're still building walls they have a 440 mile long divider wall between gaza between the uh palestinians they are building more walls on their northern borders um so that part is still to be done what what else We just read it actually in this passage. I believe it was 14, verse 14 uh, said, Dwell safely. Dwell safely. Is Israel dwelling safely today? No. no. Okay. Uh, there will also be a, uh, Israel will be a giant plum, as you would have it, um, that a prize. And what will make them a prize to other nations? To oil. A great plunder. So we'll put it into the whole category, is they will have uh, great plunder. I just watched an article, uh, an Israeli company has built a battle um, tool. They can set up, it's an antenna and camera system. They can throw it up on a tripod, point it at a house, and it will give an immediate readout of what's inside the house in terms of people, where they're standing, and they can figure out who the bad guy is and who the good guy is. It's a little square like uh, antenna about that big and they stand it up and they point it at the house. They aim it with a little scope and the guy said, we built it. So it's very simple. You hit the on button and it starts working and the soldier can read on a little display screen and it will show them what's behind the walls of the house. So they can make a determination. Uh, They don't have to go in blindly and dealing with terrorists and uh, those situations. They can throw this antenna up and look inside a house, basically. That's an Israeli company that's come up with this system and has made it work, much like the Iron Dome. We have the Patriot missiles. The Patriot missiles were pretty good when, uh, what's his name, Hussein was tossing the scuds at us. You remember that? Or at Israel? and he was shooting the big Scud missiles over. Well, the Patriot missile batteries would lock on and they would shoot and try to intercept. Well, Israel took that like 10 steps further and they did it in a period of uh, about four years is they can handle multiple uh, small rockets coming in, short trajectories, and they can pick them off with like a 95 or 96% success rate their Iron Dome system that Israel made. So Israel has huge technology. Israel has huge capability. They produce produce. A, they're the sixth largest country in the world. Um, so they're getting towards that place. They've had, hit gas in the Haifa field, the Leviathan fields. Uh, they have hit oil uh, in Gaza. And But they're going to be a land of great plunder while they're living securely without walls, and without fear. And so that's still ahead of us. That's something we need to see. Also, because we look at the whole of Scripture, we see there's something else that has to happen beforehand. And that's what we're going to focus in on today. What that is, is that inner circle of nations that are not in the Magog coalition. Where is Jordan? Where is Syria? Where is Lebanon? Where are, where's Egypt? Where's the land of what would be Philistia? Where's Tyre and Sidon? Uh, the ones that Glenda read this morning in Psalm 83. Where are they? Why are they not joining in in this group of nations that's coming against them? And I believe that's because God's word has prophetically dealt with those nations and they well may be out of the way Before the nations of Gog and Magog come together and start to come down. So we're going to look at those. And uh, first, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 34 through 39. This is dealing with what is in the western edge of Iran. And we talked about last week, just a little bit, it's the area of Elam this is the western side of Iran and there's something that happens this is an inner area up against Israel on its east and this prophecy deals with something that happens and it, it actually seems to have a um, an event that some believe might even talk about a nuclear disaster here and that's interesting when you understand Iran's efforts today. Iran is racing to try to get uh, fissionable nuclear material so that they can become a nuclear power in terms of war capability to build a nuclear bomb. They have nuclear power plants, but nuclear power plants do not produce fissionable fuel that they can use for a nuclear bomb device that has to be run through a reactor and you have to high grade the fuel to get up to you until you get the plutonium that you need or depending on the structure of the bomb anyway jeremiah 49 34 through 39 the word of the lord that came to jeremiah the prophet against elam in the beginning of the reign of zedekiah king of judah saying thus says the lord of hosts behold i will break the bow of elam the foremost of their might. Against Elam I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter them towards all those winds. There will be no nations where the outcast of Elam will not go. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord, and I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. I will set my throne in Elam and will destroy from there the king and the princes, says the Lord. But it shall come to pass in the latter days, I will bring back the captives of Elam, says the Lord. I don't know if anybody remembers seeing newsreels from some of the first nuclear tests Uh, out there in the islands, um, the Marshall Islands. And there's a uh, famous picture of one of the first nuclear uh, explosions they did. They had ships anchored out in the islands and they ignited this uh, nuclear bomb off and it lifts up a column of water and smoke. And in the column, you can physically see a ship that has been pushed up vertically into the column And think about a ship, what it takes to move a ship. The force lifted a ship vertically in the column. And then, of course, that huge mushroom cloud. And then the after effect is a wind. A wind that goes in which direction? direction. Every direction. Because the explosion moves out from its core. And it moves out in a diameter from there, circumference. So you see that wind move. Uh, Some of the testing that was done on land, the army has uh, video, and you see buildings just immediately flatten. Uh, The results of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. uh, The bomb where it struck, you have an immediate blast radius, but then everything around it is destroyed by the force of the wind that comes from it. This passage uh, has... A description, God says, I will bring the four winds from the four quarters and scatter them towards all those winds. Is there's going to be something that goes off in Elam? There's going to be uh, some force in Elam that's going to expand and then blow out towards the four winds. And some, and I think you got a pretty good idea here, uh, Iran in its race to build nuclear reactors feeder reactors or breeder reactors, they call them, so they can produce the uh, material they want to make for a nuclear device. Um, Iran has not always done everything, you know, like top-notch engineering. Um, they, they sometimes cut a little corners here and there, and they, well, may have a disaster at their nuclear site. Um, Israel has come very close to bombing their nuclear reactor multiple times and their enrichment site where they're running the fluoride gas through and trying to enrich to get their uh, heavy water and the fuels they need. So there's something that happens in Elam and just Jeremiah prophecy that deals with that Western edge that's up against Israel, just on Israel's East that deals with that area of that inner circle. So that's one component that has to happen It appears, this is i I'll I'll call these the, the now prophecies. These are the ones that need to get out of the way before we get to Ezekiel 38 and 39. These set the stage and might well answer why those inner circle nations are not in the battle against Israel at the time. Second one. So that one deals with the area of Western Iran as you get up against Israel. The second one deals with Damascus. And Damascus is a city in what country? Not or not? No? no, It's one of the constant enemies of Israel. Syria. Syria. It's a city in Syria. I'm going to read from Jeremiah. Uh, same chapter. Verse 23 through 27. Against Damascus, Hamath and Arpad are ashamed, for they have heard bad news. They are faint-hearted. There is trouble on the sea, it cannot be quieted. Damascus has grown feeble, she turns to flee, flee, and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken her like a woman in labor. Why is the city of praise not deserted, the city of my joy? Therefore, her young men shall fall in her streets and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord of hosts. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus and it shall consume the palaces of Ben-Hadad. Isaiah 17 uh, deals, let let me see, maybe I'll just pull a few verses out of there so we're not here forever. Isaiah 17 also deals with this Damascus prophecy. You want to jot a note alongside that passage? Uh, Damascus is a city of antiquity. It's been there for thousands of years. It has never been destroyed. And this is what it says. This is the proclamation against Syria. The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aror are forsaken they will be for flocks, which lie down, and no one will make them afraid. The fortress also will cease from Ephraim, and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria. They will be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. In that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob will wane, and the fatness of his flesh grow lean. It shall be as when the harvester gathers the grain and reaps the heads with his arms, it shall be as he who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephraim. Now I'm going to stop there. Um, The first part is the primary component about Damascus. So we see that there's an issue about Syria, another inner circle country, that there's prophetic uh, prophecy that is not yet fulfilled that deals with another inner circle nation. Okay, let's go on a little further. Uh, Jordan. We're going to go to the first six verses of Jeremiah 49. Verses one through six. Against the Ammonites. Thus says the Lord. Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then does Milcom inherit Gad? Who is Milcom? This is important to know. Milcom. Does anybody recognize that name from Bible study? Milcom is the god of the Ammonites. You have Molech and you have Chamash and you have all the different gods of different names. The children of Ammon, they called their god Milcom and his people dwell in its cities. Therefore, behold, the days are coming. Verse two now. The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will cause... To be heard an alarm of war in Rabbah of the Ammonites, it shall be a desolate mound, and her villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall take possession of his inheritance, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai is plundered. Cry, you daughters of Rabbah, gird yourself with sackcloth, lament and run to and fro by the walls, for Milcom shall go into captivity with his priest and his princes together. Why do you boast in the valleys, your flowing valley, O backsliding daughter, who trust in her treasures, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I will bring fear upon you, says the Lord of hosts. From all those who are around you, you shall be driven out, everyone headlong, and no one will gather those who wander off. But afterward, I will bring back the captives of the people of Ammon. There's another phrase that's interesting because he said that twice. He said it first about Elam that we read, and now he says the same thing. He's gonna tear them down. He's gonna move them out. He's gonna destroy their land. He's gonna bring them into ruin, but then at some point he will bring back those folks. So, so far we have Jordan and Syria sitting on Israel's southern edges, that are inner circle nations that God's dealing with in these prophecies and Damascus representing the whole of the country of Syria. So another prophecy, this has not happened yet. Uh, Also from Zephaniah chapter two, verses eight and nine, this same prophecy, but Zephaniah speaks of it. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon with which they reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. So we have... Another ancient enemy of Israel. Now, who is Ammon and Moab? And what's their connection to Israel? Any connection at all to the people of Israel? We're going way back here, way back. Got a guy whose wife turned to salt, ran off with his two daughters. Daughters ended up in a cave, hanging out with dad, decided there was going to be no descendants. Anybody remember? Does that bring anything to mind? Got dad drunk. Two daughters had kids by dad. Moab and Ammon. Ammon. They're related. They're lots, sons, grandsons, sons, (laughs) however you want to call that. It's just weird how God works through man screw-ups. (laughs) <laughs> That's what you have to deal with is how God works. And they always have been, they've been those enemies and God says, time's going to get full and you're going to be done. And right now we still see those countries active, Syria, Jordan, these areas of Moab. We see these people active against Israel in the news every day. We see the, uh, the enemies that come against Israel, but God's going to deal with those. And another inner circle nation that prophecy has to be dealt with that's on our forefront right ahead of us. Okay, let's go to another one. This one's in Isaiah, Isaiah 19. And uh, the first 18 verses. And this speaks of, uh, we'll, just, we'll just read a little bit out of this, speaks about Egypt. Uh, Israel, Egypt have always had a rocky relationship. Israel came out of Egypt. God called his people. How many people went into Egypt originally? The first interaction between the people we would call Israel and Egypt. How many people went in? Well, first there was one. His name was Joseph. And Joseph had brothers. And Joseph had family together 70 people went in in a period of 430 years God brought out over 600,000 fighting men plus women and children probably two and a half million people out of Egypt he raised up his people the choice his choice he raised them up inside of Egypt but we remember Egypt was part of the wars that Israel has fought as a nation in their independence and um here's the burden against egypt uh chapter 19 behold the lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into egypt the idols of egypt will totter at his presence the heart of egypt will melt in its midst i will set egyptian against egyptian everyone will fight his brother everyone against his neighbor city against city kingdom against kingdom the spirit of egypt will fail in its midst I will destroy their counsel and they will consult their idols and the charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers. And the Egyptians I will give into the hand of a cruel master and a fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord of hosts. The waters will fail from the sea. The river will be washed and dried up. The rivers will turn foul. The brooks of defense will be emptied and dried up. The reeds and rushes will wither. The pump, the Papa... (laughs) Papias reads by the river, by the mouth of the river and everything sown by the river will wither, be driven away and be no more. The fishermen also will mourn. All those will lament who cast hooks into the river and they will languish who spread nets on the water. Moreover, those who work in fine flax and those who weave in fine fabric will be ashamed and its foundations will be broken. All who make wages will be troubled of soul. I'll stop there. It goes on further. Uh, You notice there was a word that was repeated over and over again in there. There's a word. It's synonymous with Egypt. It has to do with the very success of Egypt, the country. There's a major part of Egypt. The river. What is that river's name? Yeah, the Nile River. And uh, without that river, without the water that flows out of the Nile, Egypt has nothing. Their whole watering agricultural system is based on water flow of the Nile River that seasonally runs down, washes out, provides fertile land that they can grow in. It is the lifeblood of that country. And God deals with this in a prophecy that's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. So we know this is on the forefront. And this, again, is another inner circle nation that is significantly absent from the Magog coalition. It's another nation that's not coming with Iran, with Russia, with uh, the other countries, uh, Libya and Ethiopia. Uh, We read Psalm uh, 83, and this is a a psalm that Glenda read. I hope you caught part of it. I'm not going to read it again for the sake of time. But a, a prophecy that's still ahead of us is in Psalm 83, and that deals with all those nations that are right around there. And it's a it's a, like the conclusion war of this Israeli-Arab conflict that is in the news every single day. And Psalm 83 deals with that, and God deals with it and says, my name's going to be lifted up. My name will be known among the nations. So this is a now prophecy. So, so far we've got Jordan, uh, we've got Elam, the western edge of Iran there, We've got Syria dealt with, we've got Egypt dealt with, all inner circle things. Another now prophecy, and we're not going to go deep into it, but the rebuilding of or the groundbreaking for the third Jewish temple. And uh, that seems like an improbability in our world, because on the threshing rock that uh, the temple was built on, there is this little building right now that probably would raise a lot of uh, resistance if it was to be torn down so the temple could be rebuilt on that spot. What is that little building? Moscow, Omar. Yeah, and uh, that's the third most important site in Islam. Uh, you know, they got the big rock out there in Mecca. They got another spot, but that's one of the most important sites for them. And so for the third temple to be rebuilt... Uh, Something's going to have to happen. That building's got to be knocked down. They have no problem, by the way, in their uh, work on that mosque. They have dug out um, numerous artifacts and um, just dug out tons of ground and dumped out in the middle of the desert. Uh, They didn't care. That is all historical material from underneath and around that area so that they could enlarge their mosque. And uh, it was, it's been a great sore subject between Israel because a lot of this stuff contains artifacts that are from the days of Solomon and King David and the previous temples, the Solomon Temple, and then Hezekiah uh, later on that was rebuilt. And um, so something's got to happen there that, for that to be rebuilt. But what's also interesting, if you were uh, to take a look and study, there is a group... Uh, that has rebuilt all the artifacts or all the implements of service that need to be used inside the temple. They have rebuilt and manufactured everything that's described for use within the temple, all the serving trays and the table of showbread and all that stuff. They're looking and have believed they've found in the last year or two a red heifer that has not a white hair on it. And they've inspected it by the rabbis because they need a red heifer so that they can purify those items for use within temple service. All the garments of the priesthood they've remade. And they have all that material ready to go right now if they can get a temple built. Unfortunately, what we're going to see is that the Antichrist will use that temple as his tool in bringing the Israel people into a covenant for that period, the first part of the tribulation period. So that's something that has to happen uh, first. Um, Let's go to Obadiah. Anybody been in Obadiah lately? (laughs) Didn't think so. Obadiah, Jonah, just before Jonah, just two before Micah. Obadiah chapter one, verses 19 and 20. This deals with a prophecy of an expansion of Israel. Uh, I'm actually going to start with verse 17 and read down through 20. Uh, But on Mount Zion, there shall be a deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Jacob a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor, survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau and the lowlands shall possess Philistia and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead and the captives of the host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zareph and the captives of Jerusalem who are in Zephyrod shall possess the cities of the south. Um, Jeremiah uh, 49, verse 2, which we already read, also deals with this. I thought we read it. No, I guess we didn't. Let me go to Jeremiah real quick. also deals with this expansion of Israel. Now this is the area of the Edomites, the Esau's people, the descendants of Esau. Therefore, verse 2, 49-2, I did read it because it's about Ammon, it's about Jordan, which is south of Israel. So when it talks about possessing the south, this is that area. Uh, Verse 2, therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, and I will cause uh, to be heard an alarm of war in Rabbah of the Ammonites, it shall be a desolate mound, and her villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall take possession of his inheritance. There is going to be an expansion of Israel beyond its present borders to encompass some of these areas. Uh, at the same time, we've already looked at what is going to happen uh, with Israel itself, the expansion of Israel in terms of plunder And Israel will also have an army that will expand. We saw this in Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, verse 10. Let me head there for a minute. And God, uh, this is the prophecy about the dry bones. Do you remember that? Dry bones in the valley? They all come back together. They join up. They get sinew. They get flesh on them. They have no spirit in them. God's spirit blows breath into them and raises them back up. And verse uh, 10 11 So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. They lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Israel has a little army right now. Israel has nuclear weapons, it makes it a bigger army. Uh, because they have the weapons to back it up. And they uh, also have the fortitude to actually use those weapons. Uh, Israel has, I think, been pulled back from the brink of using nuclear weapons multiple times by our country. Uh, You know, say, wait, 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 hold on, guys. You know, they're like the little kid that's been bullied and suddenly stands up and beats everybody up. Uh, That's kind of how Israel is. So this is another component a prophecy that's ahead of us. And then in Ezekiel 38, we've already looked at it, the safer Israel that dwells without walls and security fences. Um, Ezekiel 38, verse 13, the wealthier Israel that's in uh, possession of great plunder and booty. And then uh, we also have the uh, Ezekiel 38, in verse 13, talks about the protesters and I bring this up because right now we're getting to watch this in action Uh, right now in our country as we put in our influence whatever that may be against Russia and Ukraine by the way that's heating up a whole bunch is anybody paying attention seen anything on that it's interesting because our leaders are saying, hey, it's happening, it's gonna happen, and Russia's gonna do a false flag, and then it's, you know, they're gonna pretend that someone attacks them and then use that as impetus to go in. But right now, Russian-backed rebels are firing off uh, pipelines, there's uh, been bombs off, there's been artillery shells shot into schools. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on over there, and thankfully, it looks like faith will not get deployed. And uh, they put her on guard duty over here. So uh, I'm happy for that. Yes. And uh, But verse 13 of chapter 38, which we read already, uh, Sheba to Dan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you come to gather your army to take booty, to carry away all the silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? And um, this seems to... Point to and, and kind of coincide with the fact that the decline of our nation in political power and ability to influence other nations is, you know, all our threats, all our, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to economically sanction you. Do you think that's actually uh, bothered Putin at all? Not. No, in fact, I think it's incited him. I don't think our country understands how that guy functions. His greatest low moment uh, in the 22 years he's been in power was watching the collapse of the Soviet Union because of what he felt was weakness in just not standing up and fighting back against pressure outside. And that was mainly us and uh, the British nations, the UK influence. Uh, But I believe all our words are just uh, bolstering his effort to go further and to expand his borders and to restore the glory of what he sees as the nation. He's an old guy. He's 69 years old. He's a grandpa. Uh, I know he's thinking, well, I don't know. He's thinking. uh, I believe he's thinking, this is the now. We got to do this now. And this needs to be done. And it's just amazing to me as I look in God's word. And and I'm sorry if this all bores you, but as soon as we touch the subject uh, this is so pertinent to what's going on in our world right now. We're so right there on the edge. Go ahead, Ed. We struck upon something that I was involved in the disinformation because the Soviet Union was paranoid. Yep. During that period, and they started to believe that we were stronger and they couldn't keep up with it. Economically, they would fail. They started to think themselves down because mm-hmm. that misinformation, they, were, they were believed us. They believed that. The Star Wars thing was successful and they had no way to defend against all kinds of things that we peddle to them that they Yeah, yep. And that's true. That really happened. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, when you bluff, if you don't have something to back it up, it is eventually the bully realizes that and steps up and calls your bluff. Well, see. And uh, very, very likely, that's, we're sitting on the edge of that right now. Go ahead, Paul. I see your hand. Yeah, I see we- the ships uh, our our big navy ships in the Norwegian waters. Mm-hmm. God showed me that many years ago That's the start of World War Three. Yeah. And I saw that exact thing that God showed me. I think it was in New Newsweek magazine when I was in Jamestown, Kentucky, on the front cover. It was just like what the Lord showed me, like what would be the start of World War Three. Yeah. There's uh there's much afoot. And uh, the things that we've just gone over today, the key that I wanted to point out, uh, hopefully that you see in that, is these nations that are right around, the inner circle nations, as I call them, uh, there's some, it's significant that they're absent from the Magog coalition. And as we see Israel expand and come into that place of wealth and security, at the same time, we see the nations around them that are oppressing them right now, that are the daily oppressors, we see them gone. In prophecy, we see that happening. Uh, So this is like Israel, again, God's timepiece, looking at God's watch. When we see some of these things happen, when we get, if we see Syria and Damascus in ruin and rubble, and we see destruction there, uh, we see Jordan falling, we see Egypt having economic disaster because of a natural disaster of their river, however that happens, whether it's an earthquake that rearranges water flows and subterranean uh, feeders into the Nile River or whatever it is that causes their river to go stale, that, their entire economy functions based on that uh, river. That is the, the essence of Egypt, synonymous with Egypt all along. Um, these are the times to look and pay attention because this brings us right up to the threshold of Ezekiel's prophecy. Now, I, I want to read uh, what God does. And because th- this is always the cool part is when you see how God actually steps up. All the prophecies that we've read so far, God deals with these other little inner circle nations. Now God's going to deal with the massive worldwide effort that's coming potentially against Israel. And this is uh, verse 18 of Ezekiel 38. And it will come to pass at the same time, when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. Now we have earthquakes, right? California, we got a lot of earthquakes, but what was just described there is not just a little event in the hills of Israel. By the way, uh, the Mount of Olives is on an earthquake fault. Very likely, when Christ returns, it, it says that when his feet touch down on earth, uh, the Mount of Olives will split. There will be a river that runs east to west instead of the north south feeders into the Dead Sea. Um, you'll have a change in the whole landscape of Israel at that point. So, this is bigger than that earthquake fault, though, because it just addressed what? the whole world will feel the shake the whole world will feel now do you think that would worry folks yeah. the fish of the sea the birds of the heaven the beasts of the field all creeping things that creep on the earth all men who are on the face all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence the mountains shall be thrown down the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground That's describing something we have never seen in the history of the world. But guess what? It's something that's not a big problem for God. If you've ever been anywhere where you can see the tectonic plates, where they've shoved and upthrust and mountain ranges and sheer cliffs that have risen out of the ground, and you look at maps, and and you get an idea of just the forces that were involved, the continents moved apart, and the flood, post-flood time period, That was a bunch of shaking that went on. Go ahead, Paul. There's a scripture that says, The earth is burned and few men left. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch going to happen here, and and God's in charge of it. That's the main thing I want to get it. Um, Verse 21 I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. And the next. Sentence is super interesting to me because historically in the Bible, God has done this before multiple times. Every man's sword will be against his brother. All the army of Gog and Magog, all their coalition that comes together, the earthquake happens, there's such chaos that Israel's army doesn't fight, they watch. The army of Gog and Magog destroy themselves. Their coalition of nations, with language differences in between them, who have come together for a single focal point of Israel, are going to tear each other apart because of the chaos. So, real quick, when has this ever happened before in the Bible? Gideon. Gideon and the how many? Gideon had how many? Three hundred guys. Okay, so they were fighting an army of what? 300, 400 guys? No, no. How many was it? 3,000 or something. 100,000. 100,000 Midianites. And Gideon didn't have to lift a sword. They chased the survivors out. The Midianites fought each other. They woke up in such confusion to the sound of 300 clay pots breaking the lights of 300 up on the hills around them, the sound of 300 trumpets blowing at the same time, and they woke up in chaos and began to kill each other. And they destroyed the, almost the entire army, and then Gideon and his men chased him down. God's done this before. It's not a big deal for God. Go ahead, Ed. That's the old adage. United, we stand, we stand and divided we fall. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So go a little further, Uh, verse 22. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troop, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. So has God ever done anything like that before? Flooding rain. We ever had flooding rain on the earth? Yeah, the whole earth was flooded in the great flood. Now God's not gonna flood the whole earth. He's gonna flood in that area right there where this battle is, where that army is. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, There's a scripture that goes about like this. Jesus said, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? I don't know where that is. You have to dig that out. You have to find us an address on that. Okay. Okay. Uh, So has God ever, flooding rain? Yes, he's ever done that. Has he ever sent great hailstones? Yeah, he's done that too. Uh, How about fire and brimstone? Are there any towns that come to mind? We just read them in a prophecy. Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the salt pits, the marshes, all that stuff, the oil pits that's out there, the remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah, which interesting, uh, in in present day, uh, they have dug up what they believe is the remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah. They have found great beds of uh, um, basically fire-burned ground that was just obliterated by fire and uh, out in the desert. Verse 23, thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Key phrase throughout the entire book of Ezekiel, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So interesting uh, in the whole of this, and especially as we look at the Magog coalition I just pulled a few things out of the news that are pertinent that have just happened within the last year. Uh, Russia, China, and Iran recently held their third joint naval drill in the North Indian Ocean. Amid tensions with the U.S., Iran has strived to step up defense cooperation with Russia and China. Over the years, there has been an increase of visits to Iran by Russian and Chinese naval officers, uh, Iran's president, Ibrahim Raisi, uh, who took over in June 2021, has pursued a look east policy to both Russia and China, who have never really cooperated together in terms of this. In fact, as the Scythians go, remember that the Great Wall of China was built as the ramparts of Gog and Magog. It was, that's what was known in antiquity the ramparts of Magog to prevent the Scythians from moving east into the area that we now call China. That was the origin, that's the purpose of the Great Wall of China was to keep the Scythians in their Russian areas from going to the east. Now they're all coming together. Uh, the, last, the countries of Russia, Iran, and China, which are three countries found in last day prophecies, have announced... They will, in the coming weeks, hold their first-ever joint war drills, which leaders say are meant to send a message to the world about the increased military cooperation between these countries who are allies in the last days. The commander of Iran's Navy, uh, Rear Admiral Hossein Khanzadi, said the Islamic Republic will team up with Moscow and Beijing soon to hold the mass war drills, saying that the joint war games between the three countries show the high level of relations and cooperation between them in the military sector. Another article. On March 27, 2021, China and Iran signed a 25-year strategic cooperation agreement reaffirming China's effort to build an Asian axis of alliances and penetrate the Middle East. Russia cooperates with both of them as well as Turkey, but also pursues its own strategy in the Middle East and with the Middle Eastern and North African countries. North African countries. Do we have any North African countries in the coalition of Magog? Which were those? Ethiopia and Libya. Yes, they're there. This Tehran, Tehran-Beijing Agreement could serve as a precedent to lure Ankara, which is Turkey, into a similar strategic agreement. Is Turkey part of that coalition of Magog, by the way? Yes. Yeah. Remember Gomer, Tagarma, and Meshach? They're all components of that. Okay. Um, which would offer a lifeline to the collapsing Turkish economy and also provide Ankara with a strong bargaining chip in the face of U.S. pressure. Moreover, moreover, it may help Turkey to make the leap by turning its rift with the West into an abyss. If Turkey decides to stay on the Western side, then it can use the threat of siding with Tehran and Beijing to gain favorable exchanges from the US and other allies, a more extended power role in the Eastern Mediterranean, carte blanche for its aggressiveness in the Aegean, a watchdog role in Libya, a free hand in Syria, a vanguard position to sting Russia's vulnerable border with Azerbaijan, to mention only a few. If Turkey decides to break its alignment with the West, it will solidify its pacts with China and Iran to make up for its losses it will suffer by leaving the West. As an indication of China's effort to increase its presence in the region, consider the Mideast tour conducted in March by China's foreign minister Wang Yi during which he visited not only Iran, but also Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Turkey, Oman, and Bahrain. Very interesting. Alliances that have never happened before that involve the very players which Ezekiel wrote by God's influence, by God's inspiration, 2,600 years ago, that could never even be envisioned. Turkey, up till now, had been leaning towards the West. It wanted to join NATO, it wanted to be a player, it wanted to open its country, it was really moderate in, for, in terms of its Islamic influence, and Turkey didn't seem like it would ever turn uh, to the hard right of uh, the Russian-Iranian ideals. And yet in just the last three to four years, Turkey has gone almost about face right. and cut ties and really pulled back from its uh, handshake deals with the United States. And we put a lot of pressure on Turkey because they're, um, they're fighting with the, the folks on their borders, the Kurds. Uh, we put a lot of pressure on them to let things go. And we were always their ally, but that has become very faint in the present. And yet we see that for Ezekiel 38 and 39 to come together, all these things have to be. And they're all coming together in a way that you could never predict. I couldn't predict it. 10 years ago, if you looked at Turkey, you'd say no. In fact, I always wanted to go uh, over to Turkey. I thought they, the the town of Constantinople, uh, Istanbul is incredible. I knew somebody that had gone there and they said it, like their, their marketplace is like miles. You can wander for days and there's sections that are just spices and tile and, and you know, fabrics and uh, brass. And they, they have just like uh, my, city block after city block that are all just a bazaar, the Turkish bazaars. And it's an incredible city to visit, but now things are changing rather rapidly. And uh, But it shouldn't be surprising to a student of God's word because this has to happen. And it just verifies for us that we do sit in these latter days. And as we see these things happening, we see these alliances and we see the uh, things move, we need to t- look at scripture in the whole, which is why... We don't just focus on Ezekiel 38 and 39 and spend all our energy there as we look out from there. And we ask that question, what's with those inner circle nations? We have the outer circle of the Magog coalition that comes from the south. That's the North African countries. You have them from the east. You have Iran. You have the northern presence that's dropping down into Israel. But you have all the land of Tyre and Sidon, Philistia, that's Gaza, Gaza. That's the area of the Philistines of biblical time um, that is gonna come under Israel's control prior to that happening. So as you see the news and you watch things going on in the world, first, pay attention to what news you pay attention to. (laughs) We found that the news is not trustworthy. Um, Jesse Lynn and I were just talking about this the other day. There's two major companies, Vanguard And BlackRock, uh, they're financial companies that control over $15 trillion in assets, top in the world. And they own the majority of all the news outlets, both what we would call conservative uh, and far left-leaning. They own them both. So what you're getting is a very controlled, directed um, stream of information that we've found to be not trustworthy. So what's trustworthy? God's word. Because no news forecaster can overshadow what's going on. No single player can adjust all these nations to these alignments that's happening here. God's doing it. And God's going to be the one that shows up. And God's going to get the glory. And his name will be known. All will know. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why uh, aren't it, we seeking for truth? It's in, incredible that question, I don't know if we'll ever answer that. <laughs> how how can that happen? But um, a really interesting thing happened the other day. I, I don't want to take up your time because we're hitting right up to noon right here and uh, amazed we actually made that through uh, with all those prophecies that we dealt with. But um, over the past couple of weeks, and we've been working on this, and and uh, the fellows I work with who are not believers, um, they've been paying a lot of attention. Uh, some of them have former military backgrounds, and they're wondering if they're going to get called back up. Uh, they're wondering if they're going to end up, you know, get if they're going to join back up. Uh, if there's going to war start, and so they got a lot of attention focused on things and on our country and the state of our economics and our debt load and uh, which would take the entire GDP of the world for at least two years to pay back what we owe. Think of that, the entire gross domestic product of the world for two years to handle our debt load alone. So pretty much that's impossible. You know, we're not going to deal with our debt load internally, but I had said something several weeks back and, uh, about how in the history of the world, exactly what God said would happen like Assyria and then the Medes and the Persians and then, uh, Greece and then Rome and then this new Rome that we see, uh, that's envisioned by Daniel's vision of the the Nebuchadnezzar and the statue Uh, that has the head of gold, the silver, the brass, the iron, the clay, and mixed iron toes. Uh, And I said to him, just a side comment, uh, I said, in the history of the world, there has been no major world power that has existed for much more than 250 years in its place of power. And they've all fallen. They've all gone down. All those nations that I've just run through uh, France in their heyday, Britain in their heyday and their globalism. Um, we're at like 245 years. We're, we're edging up on 246 now. And uh, we show the internal decay that brought down Rome, both as a republic and an independent country. We show those same uh, moral decay. We show that internal rot as a country. Financially, we're on shaky ground. If we don't print money, we don't function. We're spending stuff that we don't even have. We're spending stuff that we'll never have. And we're just doing it by increasing the supposed hole in the bank account and trying to service our debt. Um, It's a a one-way road. But we shouldn't be surprised because every nation that has ever turned from God, every nation that has ever turned their back on God has been dealt with in judgment. And think of the sacrifice that have been made to the gods of this world by the United States. 61 million infants, sacrifice, child sacrifice, goes on daily. That, there's a cost. That's blood that cries out. Genesis, God said, the blood, you will be accountable for the blood. And that blood will be required. That, that price is going to get extracted at some point. And we, we sit on the cusp of that. And as we look at these prophecies and we see what's coming and we see what's ahead, um, if we fit into that category, the young lions of Tarshish, uh, we, we certainly don't have much force in the world anymore. We certainly don't have much influence in the world anymore. All our threats are pretty much seen, even now, we're a laughingstock to the world. And uh, Putin, I think if, if we sent over the whole White House to go knock on his door and tell him to knock it off, he'd just laugh. I don't think there's any influence there at all. But who's in control? God. God's in control. And for a believer, it's exciting times to look at because God's in control. That's right. And we don't have to fear we don't have to fear what man can do to us. What we need to do is keep our confidence and our trust in God. God said it's happened. God's done everything he's ever said. If God fails you, it'll be the first time you'll be the first one ever in the history of the world. God has never failed. And we need to keep that in mind. Do we fail? Yes. Yeah, we do. Does governments fail? Yeah. yeah, they do. Will they continue to fail? Yeah. Yes, they will. There will be one enduring kingdom for eternity. And that's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom that he will rule and he will reign in eternity. And I am thankful that I get to be one to praise him and honor him and worship him through eternity by his gift of salvation to each of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Jesus, thank you for doing so much for us uh, every day. Uh, not just in salvation, but in the, the little things, your presence with us, your power to live life, the strength to get by day by day. We love you so much, and yet you deserve so much more. Help us to be thankful, help us to always be grateful for what you do to not to not miss the small things there 's so much big here that we 've been looking at, and it 's big things that we can 't influence and We can't control and and we'll just be on the sideline and be spectating. But but God, you are in control of the tiniest little things that go on in our world. Keeping the seasons in order. Keeping the rain falling when it needs to fall. Keeping the snow on the mountains when it needs to be there. Lord, don't, don't let us take things for granted. Let us keep our eyes and our heart fixed firmly on you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.